Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not in the van this week. No. Um, so first, let's start, Kristen. Who are you and how can people find you on social media? Okay, right off the bat. Um, I'm Kristen Nagel, uh, co-founder of Canadian Frontline Nurses. Uh, Canadian Frontline Nurses can be found on all social media platforms, uh, www.canadianfrontlinenurses.ca. And then myself personally is Instagram, Telegram, Facebook, and it's at Kristen underscore Nagel. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So I was made aware of you and the Frontline Nurses. Um, gosh, it feels like a long time ago <laughs> by my friend Lorna, who was like, oh, you should speak to um, to this lady. And I was really inspired by what you were doing. Um, I think I'd walked to London at that point because we had a Zoom because um, I think it was like three o'clock my time yeah. or something like that. We'd had a Zoom. And um, I don't know, I guess I wanted what I saw you having. I wanted people alongside me. I wanted nurses who would, you know, we'd all stand side by side and we'd all be doing this together. Because when I was walking, and I'm not suggesting that I was the only one. I'm not suggesting I was the first one. I'm certainly not suggesting I was the best one. But that was what I wanted to do. Get the nurses together and all fight it together, um, like what I saw you doing. Mm -hmm. So I, I took a lot of inspiration from what you were doing. So would you like to tell people what it was that you did with the Canadian mm -hmm. Frontline Nurses? Mm -hmm. I just... Um... First, I want to just take a moment that I just think it's, like, really surreal that we're sitting here together. Right yeah, so now. we're in Athens, by <laughs> yeah, the way. We, yes. we met about two hours ago. Yeah, for the first time in person. Um, so it's just, uh, I just think it's amazing to actually be here in this moment and sitting across from you instead of Zooms or just Instagram or whatever else. And um, I'm just very happy in this moment to be able to meet you because... You might have said that we inspired you, but you're an incredible inspiration to me and to us and everything that you have done. And I think it's amazing that we can continue to inspire each other while whether we realize it or not. So um, we started, I started speaking out right at the very beginning um, of 2020. Just, I always knew that it was, I don't know, uh, whatever you want to call it. I call it a lie. Um, just, um, so I started speaking out very publicly about it realizing the harms it was having on communities, children specifically, um, small businesses. And then I held um, my first, um, I guess, freedom rally in my hometown, London, Ontario, Canada. See, I told everyone that you were in London, London. Oh, I was like, you know, she was a nurse in London. Yeah, yeah. Um, is, it, is it neonates? Yes. Yeah, I was yeah. like, she's a nurse in London. And then she went back to Canada. Yeah. And now she's, and I was like, oh, no, there's a London in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no one fact-checked me, though. <laughs> Surprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, London, Ontario, Canada. And I guess I should add, um, before that, like, it's just, it's kind of crazy. I think we were kind of talking about this, like, to remember everything that's happened in the last little bit because it's been so much. Um but before I organized the Freedom Rally, I'd actually been suspended from work um, because colleagues knew that outside of work, I was advocating not wearing a mask, not social distancing, not isolating, being community, living your life, um, you know, just in being surrounded by family. And I was going to other rallies nearby. So colleagues didn't like my outside of work behavior. 
And so they would write in complaints to management about me, about not wearing proper PPE. If I was sitting in the back, I would maybe pull the mask down a little bit um, or goggles I would put on my head while I was um, charting or looking at the computer screen. And that ended up in the reports. I was shocked. I was like, they were so concerned about the goggles being on my head because I guess like something's going to come out of my eyes. I don't know. Um, so I was suspended from work, still carried on and hosted this freedom rally. And the, I was, I knew that I would be under disciplinary action from work, but I was very naive at this point about what the media mm -hmm. was going to do. Um, I didn't take that into account. And the media wrote up this um, huge defamatory, slanderous article about, you know, they, I never shared where I worked or what area of work I was in, but it was London, Ontario, LHSC, NICU nurse um, puts premature babies in danger because um, that's what I did. I was a neonatal intensive care nurse for 14 years. Um, and then I got, you know, reckless nurse and all these things, you know, endangering lives. So you can imagine that that was November 2020, how that would have been received in, you know, my my city and the community I was quite involved in. So very um, decisive. Is that the word I wanted? I don't think so. <laughs> we'll edit. We'll whatever. Asterisk it. <laughs> we'll be there. We'll figure it out. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it just really um, tore the community apart. And then what I also didn't expect was the, um, the impact it was going to have on my family with my name being so publicly out there. And maybe they, you know, weren't on the same page, some of them. And um, it was it was very hurtful. Um, they had a, a really hard hard time with, with seeing my name out there and all the, the hate comments um, attached to it. Um, so I was then suspended indefinitely. Um, my license, nursing license, was put under investigation, and it was a really hard time because at that time I got to read all the reports and just see who was putting them in and all the comments, and I kind of went obviously inward and shut down, and um, I, I crumbled. Like, I, I broke. I shattered into pieces um, all, all over, and I, I realized I had this choice where all this had happened. I'd come this far, and if I stopped now, then really it'd be all for nothing. So I kind of put myself back together. I knew there was another nurse that had already spoke out as well, Sarah Shajunian in Toronto. And I reached out to her, um, reached out to some American nurses I knew who had been speaking out. And we kind of started collaborating and wanting to do a global nurses summit where we could be like, okay, you know, we're un uniting. It's not just us two. You know, we got nurses here. We'll all stand together on, on stage. Um, so we started even hearing from nurses from UK, Sweden and, um, Australia and a bunch of other places from around the world. And we formed global frontline nurses and we were going to host a summit in Tampa, Florida, where one of the nurse, nurse, um, Erin Marie, she did the expose of, um, Elmhurst hospital. She was the undercover nurse. And I guess there was an opportunity to do it in Washington, DC. It was going to be a bigger stage, bigger audience. And we thought, okay, great. More opportunity to get our message across. And us Canadians, kind of naive, uh, at least I didn't really follow politics. I didn't pay attention and really, you know, know what was going on. Um, but we spoke on this health and freedom stage with um, Dell Bigtree helped organize it with the High Wire. There was Mickey Willis, um, David Martin, and just um, amazing people there. And it fell on January 6th, which was, you know, um, a big day in, in D.C. And so when Sarah and I flew home, we were deemed... Domestic terrorists um, that were there to take part in the rioting and storming of the Capitol, you know, we're all mega. 
And uh, we were both terminated immediately from our jobs. We, this time we were internationally defamed, um, just huge uh, death threats and everything just for um, speaking. I was back at the hotel room when this happened. Um, I didn't even know what was going on. RCMP came to our house, which is kind of equivalent to the, the FBI in the States, um, figure our involvement. And uh, still to this day, there's some schools that are still teaching about me, about what not to do wow. in nursing schools. Yeah. They have to, like, write reports about um, it's Kristen Nagel, a conspiracy theorist. And one person stood up and said she agreed with what I was doing. And she got kicked out of class. And this is just, like, this past year. Um, so it's been crazy. And then I guess Sarah and I, same thing. We just, well, we're terminated. We got to keep going. And I think this is when you saw us standing up because we started kind of speaking more at, at rallies and events. We just kept going. And then we held a protest in front of the College of Nurses of Ontario um, with um, a few other nurses that decided to join us. And we said, you know, we're not going to let you bully us. Mm -hmm. Like, we are here standing in ethics. We are here doing the right thing. We are here actually protecting the public, which you're saying you're doing and you're not. And you're not going to bully us into um, stopping or silencing us. So without that's the first ever protest that's ever happened in front of um, uh, a college like that, like a registering um, body. So that was, it was um, pretty, I think a pretty massive statement. I think you that had seen that. And then, um, yeah, and then I guess we just kept going, toured across Canada to, to speak. Um, and then, then came, I guess it would have been September of what, 21, this past September? Yeah, 21. Everything's kind of moved. It's like, what is it? Yeah. Um, they started kind of around time and around the same time around the world. I, um, I know it happened in England as well where they wanted to mandate um, the injections on healthcare workers for their jobs. So it was very, um, um, lots of, can't speak, coercion happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, we wanted to stand with the healthcare workers and support them. So we decided um, there was a nurse in British Columbia that was going to do it at one hospital, and we said, why not do it across Canada? It's happening everywhere. So we ended up organizing a national hospital rally across Canada on the same day, at the same time, and so because of the time difference, it kind of went in this, like, wave across Canada, and it was some of the, the largest protests that had ever taken place. Uh, one of the, the events, I think 10,000 people came out, which is massive numbers for our events in Canada, and we were under the most attack we had ever been under, even more than Washington, D.C., and I was, I was done, but I got this encouraging call from a doctor um, from uh, Saskatchewan, and he said, you know, that was brilliant. It was a, a targeted, you know, uh, event. Um, we have to keep going. This is, you know, we're, you know, getting the attention. That's why the media is coming out so hard because, um, you know, we're getting the, this truth out, this message. We have to do it again. And I was like, okay. It was kind of the media was so bad. They said that we interfered with ambulance access to emergency, we stopped cancer treatments from happening, and we assaulted healthcare workers. And it was those three things that happened all across Canada, those exact same three things, apparently, that happened at every event across Canada. Um, so just very scripted. So what were those three things again? Um, that we stopped ambulance access yeah. for emergency, that we interfered with cancer treatments specifically, and that we assaulted healthcare workers. But I think the irony of that is with all of these restrictions in place, they, I say they, they, cancer treatment was withheld. Yes. Ambulances were diverted or had to queue longer, or I don't know about in Canada, but certainly they had to go through more um, 
like testing and masking and PPE. So there was delays. There was people that were shielding. Um, so there was fewer staff members. And what was the last one? Sorry, the cancer, the ambulances. Oh, and we assaulted the healthcare oh, and assaulted. workers. Yeah. And the, and again, so you assaulted the um, healthcare workers. However, to coerce somebody into having a medical intervention that they don't want nor need is not assault. Mm-hmm. Like, I I don't know about you, but I feel like I have been gaslit my entire life. Absolutely. Because they're the things that were happening, not mm-hmm. as a result of you holding these rallies and trying to talk and trying to get mm-hmm. people to ask questions. And as you've said, in my eyes, that's what nurses should be doing. That's what nurses should be doing. They they should be um, standing up for our code of ethics. And what is it like where you are? So we've got the NMC, the Nurse Midwifery Council, that we have to be registered with. Mm-hmm. And then we've got, like, unions. So one of them might be, like, the Royal College of Nursing. So mm-hmm. do you have somewhere where you register and then a union, or is that different? Yeah, no, same thing. College, well, because I'm in Ontario, College of Nurses of Ontario, and then Ontario Nurses Association. Yeah, so we we have that as well. Um, So going right back, so one of the first things you were saying about um, that you were a danger and you had the goggles and things, what was the feedback from the family members? Because at that time, when you're there to support them, I've never been in that situation, but I can imagine the distress that family members must have felt. So did the family members say that they felt in danger because of you putting your goggles on? No. On your head? <laughs> no. And then whenever, whenever I was, like, um, with with the family, with my patients in, in the space, like, it was always proper how we're supposed to, um, proper PPE, and um, that was never a conversation. Those poor parents, though, uh, you can imagine the stress of having a premature baby. So we worked with micro-prems, like, 23 weeks and up, and at that time, um, parents had to wear a mask while holding their babies here. Um, and also only one parent was allowed at the bedside within 24 hours. So the, the stress that they were feeling and only one of them alone and, you know, without their partner uh, to support them or, you know, it's so much information they're trying mm-hmm. to obtain and they're doing this all alone. And there were some that wouldn't even see their, their own children if they had other kids at home. It was It was just so awful to see what was happening. And then if they're in antenatal care, um, high-risk high um, pregnancy, sometimes they could be there for, like, weeks, um, if not months alone. They could only have the one person come in, that same person the whole time. Um, and I just can't imagine the extra stress this put on. And I just I remember C-sections. Just I couldn't wrap my head around it. There would be no. eight or so medical staff in the room, but the father of the baby or the partner was not was not one of them. He was not allowed in there. And... Were they with the babies passed to the mum's skin on skin or no? Normally, um, like the NICU nurse would would go in and um, catch the baby from from the doctors. Um, we'd show mom and then clean baby up. Dad would come and and take the baby right to mom. Um, but because they, we couldn't even do this handoff anymore, we had to stay like out of the room. And then baby was placed on just like cold cot, like right away, just without being, you know, held and then kind of pushed out, like wheeled out a little bit to us where we could finally um, grab the baby because apparently we couldn't interact with one another, even though we we're all sterile and did all the, you know, scrubbing in. And I remember thinking too, if if mom, which sometimes happened, had to go under general anesthetic, both parents missed the birth of the yeah. baby because 
Um, it's just, um, I, I know we kind of talked about this too, people, you know, you're not a real nurse, and I would get, well, you're not a frontline nurse. And, <laughs> oh, frontline um, nurse. I forgot that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Front yeah. Line well, you're not even on the front lines, but it's like, no, but you can still see harms happening. And also, sometimes being not emotionally involved there and having that distance, because I, so I'll always say to my husband, like, people only have a certain amount of reactions and responses. It doesn't matter if you are in the playground or in a government office. Like, you're going to get certain characters. You're going to get certain behaviours. So, yeah, do you know what? I haven't worked in that environment, but I bet I've met a lot of the characters during my career. Mm -hmm. And I think that just by having that distance where you're not in it and you're not caught up in it, you do get a different perspective than other people. And the reason why I asked about if it was in in plastic, because there was... um, Oh, it was like a an art exhibition of COVID um, in Trafalgar Square. And I remember two in particular that kind of got to me. One was an elderly lady who was in her house. And then there was like a toddler, like, like yeah. hand up to the glass, like kissing the glass. And then the other one was um, a lady having a baby. And they like handed the baby, like, I don't know how this was putting it was like a plastic bag and they they passed it to the mum and it's like what are we doing yeah what that that to me was just so tragic and then it was in Trafalgar Square well just the side of Trafalgar Square as art and something to be um like celebrated yeah and this is what it was I thought maybe it was like to try and bring awareness to like what no, was happening this it was it was awful um so none of the family members kind of felt scared around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were seeing... Not till after. Not till after. Not until after the media told them to be. Mm-hmm. And then the phone was off the hook. Um, I, th- I think she took care of my baby. I think, oh, like, no. you know, was she in there when my baby was in there? And, you know, all these things. And all the fears and worries came out um, about me working in, in the unit when their baby might have been in there or that I was their nurse at one time. Um, but until the media said something like, no, I've always had really good relationships with, um, all my family members and patients. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Like I'm struggling with people not being able to use their own judgment and not being able to use their own lived experience. Mm -hmm. So let's just suggest that these family members up until they saw that media report were very happy you know, they they were at home, they were content, they'd got the baby, they'd, you know, everything was fine. They'd almost forgot about you. Then they see this mm-hmm. and then they make the complaint or they make the phone calls or or they start to get scared. And But before that, they were okay. Yeah. And, and I find it really difficult that, you know, with, with all the fear in the media, that people weren't looking at their lived experience. So we're told that all these bodies are going to be, like, dropping down in the street. How many have you seen? Yeah. None. Like, but it was like people's perception and judgment just... They just couldn't comprehend this information. Mm -hmm. (sighs) So people then started to phone up and Mm -hmm. started to make the complaints worse. Mm -hmm. So another thing that you said was um, about January 6th and then <laughs> returning home and yeah. then being doxxed. 
So we we had this, me and my husband, where people had got our, I mean, it's not that difficult to find, um, got our information. Um, I'm a little bit more wary now about what information I put or where my information is. Um, and then put it on Twitter. And apparently that wasn't against the Twitter guidelines. It took us a lot of time and effort and stress. Like, we were so stressed mm -hmm. to get this removed. Like, we didn't know if people were going to, like, come up with a ton of, like, cow manure and put it on a drive <laughs> or, like, smash the windows. Or we didn't know what was going to happen. Or if, if now people know where I live. If and, and you say it out loud now and people think you're just being paranoid or you're just being ridiculous. But when it was, like the real thick of it, like it really felt like that might happen. So that was our experience of doxing. It was very difficult to get that information off Twitter. It did come off um, and nothing happened, but it did cause a lot of distress. What was your experience of that? Yeah, um, well, same thing. And I have to say like um, January 6th was was bad, but it was the the hospital events that were worse. Right. Because they they got to the heartstrings of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, you know, we affected cancer treatments. We stopped the ambulance from getting to emergencies. So um, people said that, you know, that we had blood on our hands, you know, that we were, like, literally causing death and harm to happen. So you can imagine people wanting to um, avenge that, really. And lots of, like, written things um, said in, in those sentiments. Um, so... We were like docks at that time where people showed all our addresses. They're like, let's go and have a protest in front of their house from nine to nine, um, banging pots, whatever they wanted to do. So it was like having the information out there and then being, you know, vilified as almost murderers. It was, um, yeah, it was scary because I'm like, oh, this is what's going to actually tip people over mm. the edge to do something. Um, and, and it does. You get a little bit paranoid. You're not sure if you're overreacting. Is there something we should do? And um, but it's, it's a lot of, like, call it like the keyboard warriors. Um, no one showed up, nothing happened and, you know, every, everything has been okay, but it does create a lot of stress and fear and anxiety for sure. I'm not sure yeah. what to think of it. <laughs> and you can see why. So people, when I was walking, people would get mad at me for other nurses not doing stuff. Mm. And then nurses who were doing whatever their message was, would get mad at me for not doing the same as them. So it's a real thankless task yes. um, to speak out. And, you know, the people that would shout at me in the street, I'd have to ask them, like, why do you think I'm doing this? Like, I don't have anything to earn from doing this. There's nothing that I'm going to get from doing this except for, like, a clear conscience. Um, and I think that was really quite frustrating where I was almost attacked from the people who were like on my side um, and also people who like just did not understand what I was doing at all. Mm -hmm. Did you get much support from your colleagues like behind the scenes on the quiet or was it just no, you're dangerous and that's that? Um, like my personal colleagues, there was maybe like three, four. Um, but I knew who they were at the very beginning of all this and they had stayed um, the same. But and was that like messages? Like yeah, in person. Not secret messages, but yeah, like personal in, well, messages in, rather than... In person conversations and yeah, we, we knew each other's stance and, and where we stood. Um, they they stayed in work until um, the mandates came and then they were terminated at, at that point. But no one else has really kind of come around. But we did, what the media did do in our benefit was it showed people where to find us. Mm -hmm. 
So we did get a ton of support across Canada that reached out and, and found us and, you know, just kind of validated that um, we were doing the right thing and that we did have all this um, support behind us. So that that was really nice and reassuring. And you have to kind of struggle with like, well, if you speak out too, yeah, <laughs> we could we'd like be out of this. Um, you know, if, if like everyone that's showing their support, if you kind of, you know, voiced um, your concerns as well, like this would, um, you know, be huge. And it's hard because yeah. you understand why they don't. Yes. They've got mortgages, they've got jobs, they've got family, like they've got bills to pay. Like you understand why. But just come on. Yes. Just <laughs> but that's a, that's a struggle, right? Because, yeah, you get it and you're sympathetic and um, you understand, but you have that little bit of like, oh, but I wish yeah. it would just help all of us. But um, I think there's a, a journey, time, and place that we're all so, supposed to be on. And um, I think, you know, we we need the good ones still working inside. Yeah, Someone yeah, needs to still be in there and protecting people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want them all to get sacked. So, yeah, so we met online, um, which is where I've met most of my friends now, like the people that I speak to. And we describe it as like a value-based friendship. So although we might might have disagreements or we might have completely different like careers or locations, it's we we share the same values. Mm -hmm. And I really, really like that. Um, So, yeah, we've just met in Athens a couple of hours ago. And... um, we're going to film this podcast probably in two parts. We might need to cut it up, chop it up a little bit. So that's where you've come from. What's Canada like today? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, it, it went through a lot. And just um, recapping a little bit. So after the hospital protest, it is now um, a federal criminal offense to protest in front of hospitals um, because of that. So that was kind of like it, crazy how how big how big that those demonstrations got um we had the ottawa convoy which was um amazing until it wasn't and so where is canada at now um right now there's still the mandates on jobs nurses are still not allowed to work um we are in very much which sounds like the same kind of around the world in a healthcare crisis a very severe one they're talking about this but they're not talking about the nurses who have been terminated There is a massive influx of foreign workers coming in. Um, Our college, our registering body is um, almost kind of boasting about um, the high numbers of foreign nurses coming in while our experienced, skilled, competent nurses sit sit at home. So there's still like those mandates in place. And Um, also the culture as well. Like It's very different. Because we can have um, nurses who are from a different background and sometimes they can come across quite abrupt in their communication, but then they're not. Like, yes. they're lovely, but sometimes the patient's going to feel like they're being quite abrupt, so then they don't want to ask them for something. Um, so I think, yes, it's great and it should be celebrated that there is that diversity, but we also don't want to be solving one problem and creating other problems. Yes. Um, and I think that if to have such a massive influx when you've got your own nurses as well who are willing, able, experienced, um, yeah, that can create other problems. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And we've definitely heard from nurses that are, are struggling with uh, the dynamic. And it's just like even language barriers and things like that. It's It's been very difficult um, while they're, you know, colleagues or um sit at home 
that's the other frustrating thing. It's like, when are they going to, when are the ones that stayed and who believe going to fight for their colleagues? But um, hopefully soon. Uh, Canada right now, to me, feels, um, you know, open, which I think a lot of us are experiencing around the world right now as they're given, you know, a little bit of freedoms now. Um, it's, you know, to kind of blow off that steam and kind of feel like we're living normally. Um, but I was explaining to you, to you earlier, we can leave our country now before we weren't able to. Now we can fly um, out, um, go on trains and, and travel, um, but we still can't get back in without... Um, quarantining, um, tests, um, showing our status, and then the um, Arrive Can app, which is like the tracking app. So those that don't, you are allowed back in Canada as a Canadian citizen, but there are threats and intimidation and massive fines for going back to your home. Um, Six thousand, ten thousand um, dollars some have received. Yeah. And how is that coming out? Like, is that coming out of people's wages or... No, so it's just at this time a ticket, like a fine. Okay. Um, and people are saying, you know, I will take this to court. The interesting thing is um, the courts are so behind, um, <laughs> are so backed up. I haven't heard yet of any of these going into the courts or anything happening of them. But interesting enough, there was um, a nurse at the beginning that um, didn't follow some of these restrictions entering back into Canada. And she clicked, you know, or checked, I'm going to take this to court. And since they're so backed up, I think they're trying to find ways to threaten people, new ways. So they told her that she's not allowed to renew her driver's license until this is paid. But it doesn't work that way because, you know, if we're following a legal system, it's like, no, it has to go through the courts. Mm. You can't just turn it over to something else and threaten. So it's kind of just like that sign of what, like, social credit system to come. Um, I don't know. So that's kind of interesting. But right now, um, things are open. Things feel good. And it's, I think, that anticipation of, I don't know, what's next and what's, you know, is it going to happen again or, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I said, like, I certainly, I don't want to live my life like I'm always thinking, what next? Mm -hmm. Or, oh, they've done this, what does that mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think there's there's a fine line between, like, paranoia and preparedness. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that I'm certainly just getting on with how I was before um trying to do the best that i can to help other people in, in different ways um, but yes it certainly feels more open um where we are i don't think in england there's any restrictions few people wear masks um certainly no one's shouting or punching anyone for not wearing a mask no. and there was a time and again we've talked about our memory and how like we've had so much information like we just can't like compute everything but it's interesting how some people have forgot how they behaved mm -hmm. and some people in supermarkets, gosh, I remember I couldn't even go to a supermarket. Rob had to do all the shopping for us because people were just so horrible and just so tense and so aggressive. And it really feels like I've seen the best and the worst in people yes. in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What's been your... Best and worst bits. <laughs> um, I think a lot of the the worst kind of already discussed, like just the the media defini defamation, um, losing relationships within the community, within family, that that whole divide, and just my my messaging at the beginning was just about like I mean it, it still always is. It's just about actual health, like 
if this is about her health, why aren't we talking about it? Mm-hmm. What are the things you can do? Because um, um, about seven years ago, I went back to school to become a holistic nutritionist. And that's my passion is helping people through, you know, new, nutrition and, and lifestyle and, um, you know, mental health and well-being. And it's like, why is this not being talked about? So I would talk about vitamins and real food and sunshine. And, um, and, and then I was like labeled this like crazy person. I'm like, but just talking about solutions that are not heard. Um, so that was, that's all really tough. But the amazing thing is, is just the connections. Like, how are we sitting here together <laughs> right now, you know, in Athens? Um, we would have never have met. Uh, I just came from a conference in Vienna with people from around the globe. I've made, you know, lifelong friendships. And I have seen, like you said, the worst and the best in, in people. And But the best has been, like, just incredible. Like, really just people... Um, pouring their hearts out, like giving all of themselves, like tr- showing up to help their community. And it has been truly inspiring and and beautiful to see the connections and supports that have been, um, com- that have come from this. And that's what I think, you know, we were kind of on the same page before. It's like, yes, we, you know, had to speak up and talk about and everything that was going on at the beginning. But I think there comes a point where we do need to figure out how we're going to continue living Mm -hmm. because we don't want to live in that place of fear of what's next and this and um, because we just want to live. So I think we're kind of like, let's take the best of the humanity and the beauty that we've seen the last, you know, couple of years. And it's time to take that and find solutions to move forward so we can continue to hold on to that and actually create this future and world we want to live in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think um, with what you're saying about people helping communities, so we had the the bang in the pots and pans at yeah. Thursday at eight o'clock for the nurses, um, for the frontline heroes, and then you know everyone was like, "Be kind and help out like your neighbours and things," and that was all very much at the beginning. And what I found was, I don't know. I think you can see the difference between someone who authentically is that character mm-hmm. and someone who is just keeping it up for a little bit it's a bit of a novelty yes and then people started to get really frustrated um and then I don't know whether that was kind of like the switch to the supermarkets when you saw people how you know they were taking like extra food and extra bloody toilet rolls and I don't know it, it seemed to be like people were quite happy to go along and help and you know everyone was smiling and it was a, the, there was definitely a novelty around like the lockdowns and things but when that isn't your authentic character, you can't keep it up yeah. for long periods of time. And I think that the friendships that have been formed now, like these people are doing it and they're still doing it and they did it before all of this happened mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's something that I'm definitely taking as well. The connections were amazing, um, you know, when I was walking and things. And as difficult and painful as the aggression, like, face-to-face, online. Um, and people that I would consider, like, that I thought were friends yes. that I made along the way. Um, it was all... That was always uncomfortable, like, the aggression and the attacks and things. But what I would think about is, what if I don't do anything? Yes. That would be more uncomfortable if I don't do anything... And all of the mandates, all the vaccine passports come through, mm-hmm. um, the like social credit system and things like that. So yeah. I definitely want to go down kicking and screaming. 
yes. before I stop. Yeah. <laughs> and I just like, I felt, and I know you felt this too, I think like, um, well, with my kids, I just was like, this is not the world I brought you into. This is not the 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 life that, you know, um, I wanted you to have. So it was kind of like standing up for them and parents were messaging me about like things were happening to their kids. And, and I know you were getting kind of messages or stories when you first did your walk. And it's like, well, how am I supposed to take all those in, hear them and, you know, have them weigh on me and not do something with them? Like, obviously, they entrusted me with this. And um, if I do nothing, I would just feel like I'd be just doing such a disservice, like mm -hmm. letting them all down. And I know all the stories that you heard along the way. And it's like it was almost this responsibility um, that we took on without meaning to. Um, whether we wanted to or not, but it became almost this um, this call, like to to do something. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about your husband. Yeah. And so, how how did it go from you two having conversations to you two then doing something? Mm -hmm. And how did that impact your relationship? Mm -hmm. Um. It, so at the very beginning, we both agreed that um, we weren't buying into it. It didn't make sense. Um, he believed um, that it was just something that the um, political world was using to their advantage. I had gone a little bit, I guess, um, deeper into what was happening. So he kind of stayed down here. Like, we're both on the same page that what was happening was not right. But he kind of stayed here, and I just went... <laughs> Just taking in, like, consumed. And I think a lot of us, there was a period where we were just consumed with taking in information and learning. And um, it, it put me kind of in uh, a, a fear place um, for a while and um, scared or angry, upset, like, all these emotions. And it was it was very difficult um, in our relationship for a bit because I kept wanting to kind of, you know, like, oh, we need to prepare, we need to do this, or thinking, you know, worse things were coming. And uh, he was not there. And um, it took me a little bit to kind of come back to mm -hmm. a, a balance. I, th I think a lot of us, there was this phase of over-consuming and then having to kind of back off and and um, and trust a little bit more. And so there, there was definitely a struggle at the beginning. Um, I didn't really, we didn't plan anything. It was kind of a, a joke now because actually after my second um, child, I didn't want to go back to work. I'd kind of already, it was already kind of hurting my soul, what I was seeing and um, experiencing. And I, I wanted to do something more proactive in the nutrition, like the holistic world. Um, but I didn't have a plan and I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just kind of trust that it would have like worked out. Um, but that, you know, wasn't really the answer that <laughs> my husband wanted to hear. <laughs> so um, went back kind of to the the secure, um, you know, paycheck, the pension and all the the good things. And it just, um, you know, he knew I was, I'm a very vocal person. I, and so he knew I was speaking out about this. And, um, but I don't think we knew the repercussions that mm -hmm. were going to come um, with that first media. So it was like, okay, well, it happened. Now what? So luckily he's, um, he has always been incredibly supportive and, and he has been on, on the same page. And we've just kind of like 
like dealt, I guess, with everything one step at a time. So the, the joke became like, I guess, I guess I should have quit before like, I had my chance instead of like having to go out in a blaze of fire. Um, and then it was kind of interesting because, you know, coming from the, the, the man who wanted, you know, a plan, um, when it came to him to do all these testing and, you know, um, these restrictions on, on his job, he said no. Um, with with no plan, yeah. I just I was very impressed when it came up for my my husband to take a stand. He he did um, with with his job. So um, kind of quick. He was a, a he's a high school teacher, and when all the schools shut down, he was working from home uh, doing online remote teaching, and he did that for a year and a half. Then the following year, they wanted all remote teachers to report to a classroom. His just so happened to be an hour away. And the classroom was going to be with two to four other remote teachers in the same room. So very distracting. And then, you know, they had to wear mask in the classroom while teaching to his computer screen and and then test three times a week um, because he was entering a classroom to teach to a computer screen. And it just didn't make sense um, that he'd have to do that while he had just worked from home for a year and a half. Um, so he said no to, to this without a plan, and which was just kind of ironic because, you know, I didn't have a plan, but I had to keep going to work. <laughs> and uh, but but he made made it work, and I was um, just very proud of him that you know the creativity, the resiliency, and we had downsized our house the um, previous year, so that kind of took the financial pressure off of me not working and um, him being able to figure it out. And it just it is actually amazing what you can do if you're willing to um, find opportunities. So really, he. Had a, a truck. He put up on Facebook, a, your friend with a truck. <laughs> and it was like whatever people needed, like moving jobs, lawn care, hanging Christmas lights. And uh, um, interesting enough, he found the big, <laughs> his like income um, with flipping couches. And, ah, and, okay. And all that meant was people wanted couches out of their house. They had a new one being delivered. So it was either like, please take this out for free or $50. Um, he would take it and put it up for sale, not do anything to it, but just sell it for for more. And it's um, yeah, and people would buy it. It's usually like two hundred or more, like profit per per couch. If you're, <laughs> it was so there's like so many opportunities out there, and I just know that it, it became hard to hear. And I'm sure this for you as well. Like um, when you hear, I don't have a choice, and it's like, well, we all have a choice. And I don't, I just, I don't like that statement if I don't have a choice because it's like, well, you could choose to find something else or you could say, you know, I chose to stay in the mm -hmm. career that I love, but just know that it's a, it's a, it's a choice that you're making anyways. But you asked about Chris, um, has been I'm incredibly, you there, yeah, sorry. Sorry. so <laughs> one of the things was, um, thanks cha <laughs> changing it to, that's not a priority for me. Yes. Yes. So let's just say, so, you know. I go to the gym. Um, however, if I gain loads of weight, I could say, oh, I haven't got time to go to the gym. I haven't got this. I haven't got that. And actually, if I say going to the gym is not a priority for me, that puts it on me. Mm -hmm. And that makes me feel very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But if I blame everything else, oh, I haven't got the time. I haven't got the money. I haven't got the energy. I haven't got the trainers, blah, blah, blah. But when you turn it to it's not a priority mm -hmm. um, and with choice as well, there's needs and wants. So you might want a bigger house, but do you need 
a bigger house. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people um, go for the things they want mm -hmm. rather than mm -hmm. what they need. Mm -hmm. I think we were very blessed. We had the opportunity to um, travel in 2019 before all this. So I was on maternity leave um, for, for the summer. Chris, being a teacher, he had the summer off. And it's like, well, what are we, like, we should do something with this uh, opportunity that we've been given with eight weeks off. So we found this tin can of a trailer, like it called the the Golden Falcon. It's um, <laughs> like sold. We kind of gutted it and just made it kind of more that would be functional for our family. Nothing fancy, like literally like plywood, um, no bathroom, like no amenities. Um, but it just, it, it fit us and did everything we needed. So we took that all the way across Canada and back for eight weeks. And we just lived in this tiny tin can uh, for the summer and just loved it. I was just, we were just all together. We were outside, we we're doing all these things. And I was like, this is, this is all that, you know, we need. Um, so we came back to our kind of um, bigger house. It just, it, mm -hmm. it just felt too big. And it was this good, amazing lesson of, well, this is, this is the happiest we've all been in a very long time, you know, being together, doing the things we love. And this house is actually preventing us from, from doing that because, mm -hmm you know, the house poor, all the money that it takes, all the all the things. And it's like, well, if this is actually what we love, then like, let's make it a reality. So that's kind of what spurred the the downsizing of the house um, was just trying to create a lifestyle that we wanted. And just luckily, divine intervention. Um, I believe in God, whatever others believe in. It was just kind of like, I think, leading us that way, because had I lost my job still in that mm -hmm. house, we yeah, would not have been in a good place. So it was just amazing the life lessons that kind of led us here to be kind of like, okay, we actually are comfortable enough to continue to stand our ground and, and be convicted and stand in our beliefs and values and keep living that way. And and then, yeah, I've been able to homeschool um, our boys, like, so they're home with us, so I don't have to worry about them, like, going through any of this stuff at school. And uh, it's, I don't know, it's been fascinating as hard as a lot of the challenges have been, I have found it such a blessing, um, the path that it has pushed me towards. Because I think every challenge and obstacle that's come, it's kind of just trying to redirect mm -hmm. me into the life that I should be living or want to be living or that I've, you know, or who we actually are. And, and I think it goes back to kind of the questions you're saying, like, it's not a priority or I do have a choice. And it's kind of just reflecting on well, what is the life you want to live like and what does that look like? And we can all make that that happen. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I've been, uh, so we've been, um, <clears throat> we went to Iceland. As soon as Iceland opened up, we went to Iceland. Um, as soon as Greece said that it was opening up, we uh, booked the flights. And, you know, me and Robert are traveling around and we've never been big on kind of social media or like attached to our phones anyway. But now we are much more conscious of the time that we spend. And we both said in the lift about not having our notifications on, so we're not kind of, like, constantly connected to our phone. And it's really making me sad. It's always made me sad seeing couples in restaurants and they're both there and they're just on their phone. Mm -hmm. But now I'm paying more attention, you know, and I'm seeing people live their holidays through their phones and mm -hmm. they're just like on their phone just walking around and not really paying attention to the people that they're with and seeing like and this is this is really judgmental but like 
seeing like the clothing that they're wearing and the brands and knowing how expensive all these clothes are or how expensive all their watches and jewellery is and, and things like that. And I don't know what their income is. I'm kind of making assumptions here that people are living for other people and buying these things maybe to fill a void. And it makes me feel really sad, really, really sad, because me and Rob have just, like, streamlined our life, um, like, right down. Like, we're very happy, we're very content, you know, we've got everything that we need. We don't need anything and to see people like struggling or having to work overtime for all these extra things that just aren't essential, mm-hmm. that makes me sad. Mm-hmm. It, I think it is sad. I remember at a young age kind of wondering this and being confused by it. It's like, okay, well, we have to go to school all day, you know, at like five. Um, you know, then you go to the next school, you go to high school, then another school, then you get into a job. Um, and you're just like busy, busy, like full days of like in these institutions, whatever you want to call them, um, waiting until you retire if, if you make it that, that far and you've missed out on, on actual like life and, and living. And I just remember being confused. I was like, I just feel like there's more Mm -hmm. (laughs) than what we're being told to do. And I feel like that's what the last um, two and a half years specifically has really shown me like because uh, for a lot of us it has just like like ripped us right down mm-hmm. like to complete vulnerability um, broken all all the chains that we might have been attached to you know like taking jobs um, homes and, and whatever and just left us with like well what is important family you were talking about the families yeah. being torn apart yeah and even families have been torn apart um, and, and I think it does, it brings you into this vulnerable state of really kind of analyzing and, um, like what is important to you, like what is important of this world. And I think it's kind of a gift to be kind of like ripped. I'm probably not saying that right, but I think it is a gift of having these chains cut, mm-hmm. um, to kind of really evaluate like this path that we had been on and told to live. Um, and now we get to kind of stop and just completely change direction as you know Robert Frost the road less traveled we yeah. don't know what that looks like but I I think it's kind of exciting yeah mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and I I just couldn't imagine going back to that, that materialistic and, and I don't think I ever was big on it anyway um but now I think I'm definitely more conscious about where I spend my money and what I want to spend it on and um again don't want to be living thinking like oh what's around the corner what might happen but I also kind of am a little bit I think just a little bit (laughs) um so what was Canada like when it was in the thick of it so for us we had all sorts of rules that were like you can do this you can't do that um I was saying about I think it was hairdressers had to wear masks but the clients didn't but then you couldn't go and see your doctor but the doctor could go to the hairdresser mm-hmm. and there was all all ridiculous rules like that and they were they seemed to change very quickly and i almost mm-hmm. think that that was part of the like just spin people around just keep on spinning them and they'll be confused enough that they just won't know which direction they're going in there was um so like counties um would have different tiers so tier 1 tier 2 tier 3 and that would depend what restrictions you had. So we were in tier three, so our pubs, restaurants weren't open. But just across the invisible border, 
um, like 10 minutes away. They were all open. So we'd like cross the border. And then we'd have to lie about where we were from. And I remember we went with friends and we'd say that we all lived in the same house. Like it was so ridiculous. Like nobody believed us. Like when it was a bubble? Yeah, bubbles. Oh my gosh. (laughs) The problem with the bubbles is everyone had so many bubbles. Yes. And then I remember we'd have some like tradesmen round and it's like, oh, it's all right, we're in the same bubble. And then another person would, oh yeah, we're in the same bubble. And it's like, oh, if you actually did, not a family tree, but like a map of all these bubbles. You're just <laughs> a living, bubble tree. <laughs> yeah, you're just living your normal yeah. life. So yeah, ours was, things were happening quite fast. The media was really putting a lot of pressure um, on people to be isolated from and, you know, to be told that they were conspiracy theories, that they were dangerous. Um, when the, the media is funded by a lot of people who are going to benefit from the sales of these products. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it felt really, really tense. And there was a time where I remember Rob saying, in two years' time, we'll do this, or in two years' time, this will happen, or whatever he said. And I just had a black void I, I couldn't even... Th- and it made me anxious, him thinking about two years' time, because I couldn't think about next week. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when it was, like, really, really in the thick, it was it felt quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt very risky to have different views, a different perspective, and to be challenging the status quo. I don't think there was anything that I couldn't do, though. Like, we weren't stopped from going on trains or in restaurants. Like, they did introduce the vaccine passports and things. But we, I don't believe there was anything apart from air travel that we weren't able to do. What was Canada like? Mm -hmm. Went through, I'd say, like, two different hard phases. Like, in our um, one lockdown, I don't remember, first, second or whatever. (laughs) Um, I've been the second one. Um... We it went down to, like, you couldn't leave your house. Like, it was, like, essential um, outings only. Um, and during that time, I think I racked up, like, a, 11 summons um, for speaking at public <laughs> public events. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, we weren't allowed to leave our house. I remember there was, like, um, a mom ended up um, in, the, in the news because she was trying to drop one of her children's off at, you know, her mom's, like, the grandma's house so she could do, sh- like, shopping and, and stuff without, without the kids. And because... Um, she went to the grandma's house first. Um, anyway, she ended up like getting charged or something ridiculous. But yeah, so we were, we were not allowed to leave our houses. Um, we, you know, it was that whole thing of like no Christmas, no Thanksgiving. Um, you know, or if you're having Christmas in Canada, it's like minus like 20. It's like eat outside or something. Oh no. (laughs) I don't know. I can't, I can't really remember. I just remember there was like, they were so silly. (laughs) Um, but I, I do remember like it, like it was supposed to be canceled. Like, I think it was just like, no, it's just, it's just off the table. Um, when the passports did come into play, that was, uh, no restaurants, um, for anyone. It was no restaurants, like eating inside. Um, that was transportation. So no train, um, air or anything like that. So we were, there, there was a lot that we were restricted from. Um, then, then yeah, then the, the job losses, but I, I think we are so thankful that we had created such a, a community mm-hmm. and there are some businesses that we knew, um, you know, where we could still feel like, you know, we're getting our coffee or getting something or supporting these businesses trying to, to stay open. But we there was a period where we were like um, could not leave even like our we couldn't travel within Canada. Like we couldn't even travel within our own country. 
um, to hop on any any plane or train. Like we were just kind of like stuck where where we were. Mm-hmm. It, looking back, it is. It didn't feel like it was ever going to end. Mm-hmm. It only felt like it was going to get worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. So with the um, relationships that had been broken down with your family, have they been rebuilt? Do you think they will be rebuilt? Um, they have not. And I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to know. Um, there has been, you know, some, um, that have come around, but yeah, there, there's still very much, um, a divide in brokenness that it's almost, I think with some, they, it's almost so deep. Mm-hmm. They don't even know how to like reconcile or or come around because you're on two such massive spectrums. Um, I've noticed some just want to continue to dig their feet in, um, their heels in, because uh, I think if they kind of start to kind of want to, I mean, not even like just to reconnect, it has to, there has to be some kind of admitting that there is something not right. Or yeah. something was wrong, or they have to second guess. I think there's so many people that want to just continue to dig their heels in, or believe everything they did was was right because it's so much to take in um, to admit that you could have been wrong or they were wrong, um, and then there was like some deception that fell into. And I think that is too much for a lot of people because that could unravel so much of their values and beliefs. Oh yeah, it's like everything. Everything that you believed, everything that you know, everything. you've told yourself, yeah, and the life that you've been leading all this time, and I didn't fall out with anyone in particular. Like I didn't have an argument with anyone, but there was um, one friend where we just kind of stopped talking, mm-hmm. and then there's like unfollowed on social media and things like that. So that happened, and then uh, the other friend who, I say, we didn't have an argument, but she didn't want me to talk about stuff. She was able to tell me her fears, but I wasn't able to tell her mine. And I just, I thought I could do that. I thought, okay, Jen, like, just don't, just turn the volume down. And I just couldn't, I couldn't. And I thought like, how how can we be in a friendship if I can't share my fears with mm-hmm. you and you can't like offer some reassurances for me or at least listen. Or just listen. At least mm-hmm. listen. Um, but, you can vent and say whatever you want to me. So, like, with the censorship, I didn't want the censorship to be within friendships as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there was no kind of fallouts, but, like, drifting apart um, and difficulties there. But for some people, like, I think we're really lucky where, like, we did get on with our partners. And a lot of people were in those situations where they couldn't leave, well, they could leave, they could have left their house. Yeah. But the fear was so strong of the consequences that for the people who had maybe difficult relationships before and then difficult relationships because they saw things differently, some of the stories that, you know, people have said to me, um, there's one lady that always sticks in my mind where um, she got alopecia and she was, like, living downstairs and her husband was living upstairs and they just, they, like, couldn't be in the same room. They just could not have a conversation without it turning into an argument because mm. their views were so different. Um, and I think that what we were seeing in the media of Canada um, during 
I guess for me, it felt like like the peak for me because everyone was talking about it. And we definitely can't have this conversation without talking about the truckers. <laughs> yeah, of course. Honestly, I remember watching <laughs> that and I remember like I was crying and I was like, how can I get there? How can I get there? Um, because there was one time in Durham where I was walking and I was by the side of the road and people were beeping and it was so addictive. It was so addictive. Yeah, yeah. I was with this group of people and I was like, just two more beeps, just two more beeps. <laughs> now, honestly, I don't know whether they were beeping at me like in support or like, I think you can kind of tell the supportive ones yeah. and they're not. But I was like, just two more beeps. And then I was like, just, just three more beeps. And I don't know what it is about people beeping their horns. Um, but then I remember seeing the truckers and it just seemed like everyone yeah. came out. Everyone, everyone was out for support. Everyone was out like with the food. And I remember looking to see whether I could get to you. And I was like, can I go to Mexico can I, and drive up? And oh my gosh, I just wanted to be there so much. And yeah, tell us, tell us, describe us, the, yeah. the truckers. Um, that was just such an um, incredible um, experience. I remember kind of hearing something about like there was this trucker movement, but I wasn't hearing a, a lot of it. So I wasn't really understanding like what was going on. Um, there just so happened to be um, one of the worldwide um, rally days happening. It was January 22nd and there was a trucker and he was like, okay, tomorrow is the first day. We're going to Windsor, which is a, a bordering city with um, the, the U.S. And he was kind of explaining a, about it. And so afterwards I was like, oh, I didn't realize you were, you know, um, a trucker. So can you explain more to me? Like what is happening? What's with like, you know, this first little rollout, then there's this. And he's, and he said, you know, well, first we're going to go to these, the neighboring U S cities because the West has to come in mm -hmm. and the West is going to take like several days to get here. So as they're coming in, we're just going to do kind of, um, slow rolls around, around the borders. And then we're all meeting up on January 27th or 20th, whatever it was, um, in Ottawa. And I was like, okay. So I go home and I was like, Chris, like, we're all going tomorrow. Like, tomorrow we're doing the slow roll to to Windsor. <laughs> and we were supposed to meet, like, in London. And it's two hours, hour and a half, two-hour drive from um, where I am to Windsor. And I was like, okay, we're meeting people in London. Then we're all going to Windsor. And there was one car. And we're like, oh, okay. Like, did I just get us up at, like, 5.30, like, 6 <laughs> in the morning? Like, what is this? And uh, so we drive to the stop um, just right before Windsor. We're meeting up, like, at this truck stop with everyone. And we pulled in, and it was just, like, everyone was there. Like, the trucks and just the the rigs and the, the people and um, all the pickup trucks and whatever, just the flags. Like, that's when, like, Canadian flags really came out was during the, the trucker convoy. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I got mine. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And was, Everyone wanted to be Canadian. Normally people want to be Irish. And normally yeah, yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah my yeah. granddad's dad's dog was Irish. Everyone wanted to be Canadian. Yeah, I think, I think like even Canadians like, you know, found flags. Like we're like, oh my gosh, this is actually something to be proud of. Uh, so I, I just remember and... Um, there was a truck, and because I I do have I do have faith, but the first truck it, that led the entire convoy, it said, you know, Jesus is King, and I just thought this is the, something is happening here, like this is um, like this is a movement we've never seen before, and so anyways, we spent the day doing you know the slow rolls in, in Windsor just for a few hours, had the boys in the back, they had no idea really what's going on, but I was like, you're you're part of like history right now, and after that, I was like. This is going to be huge. It was just even that one day was incredible. So we downloaded this like Zello app 
um, which was um, like the trucker communication, like the radios. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So they were communicating with each other and, and to the public, and you'd hear like kids call in and be like, thank you, truckers, oh. for like standing up for me for my freedoms, or thank you, truckers, like, you know, like just little voices. And you could hear like grown men just breaking down, like crying, like start crying, think of these calls. And um, so we listened to it all all week, like me and the boys. Oh, don't. I know. See, I, I do. <laughs> And uh, so we listened all week to these calls, um, and then it was like, okay, um, we're leaving London. The South Convoy's going, and that was the first day leaving my city um, to join up with the convoy, and it was just overwhelming. And being able to reflect now, I realized that, you know, conversations with people, they're like, um, like, thank you for speaking up. I can't do it because I'm not a nurse. Or thank you for doing something I can't because I'm not a... And people didn't realize, like, you don't need... Like, and, uh, like, you don't need a, a title. And I think that's what the truckers did for people. Because, like... The um, world was watching. Well, and just, I think just, like, I, I didn't know a trucker. And if I'm being completely honest and transparent, like, I think subconsciously or, um, I don't know if it's subconscious, like, there's a little bit of a, a judgment or, you know, like, um, it's a trucker. Like, I don't I don't know. Um, and, and so they're just everyday people. They're just everyday working class people. They don't have an and, uh, like a, a title. And I think it's like, well, if a trucker can do it, like I can stand up and say something. Mm-hmm. I don't need a title. I can do something. And it giving and it, people permission. Yes. That weren't professionals. And yes. I don't know if, I don't know whether it was the same in Canada, but we certainly had the, oh, well, you're not an expert. Yes. You're not a scientist. Yes. So I wonder if that gave people the perception that they couldn't because they weren't under. I, I think so. I, I really do think there was something there. Because um, people would say like, oh, but you have more credibility. It's like, no, I clearly don't because <laughs> I'm being discredited. Fake news, discredited yeah. News. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was like, no, I, I clearly don't have any credibility <laughs> in this. But I think the truckers gave that hope mm-hmm. of just everyday people standing up. And then I remember you making this comment to me and it, and it stuck too. And it's the enormity of the size of the trucks, because I remember yeah, you thinking, yeah, yeah. you're like, I'm just one person walking through, um, you know, England, but like the size of each truck coming through and making that statement. So we left London and it was um, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like every overpass. Like I just, like we just bawled the whole drive there because it was just, you know, and then you have kids like tobogganing down like the one side. The whole overpass is just full. I remember my parents stood on one of them that we went under and um, just everyone came out of all, all ages, um, all backgrounds, like everyone just came out for this event. And I just, I couldn't get over seeing the visual of the, it was the overpasses and people, and then you have the groups of people. And when you say overpasses, oh, that's sorry, over the oh, highways. Over the, yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so standing over top of, of the highways. And then you get into kind of the smaller areas. And uh, it was even still impactful. Like, you, you know, these small country towns we're driving through, you'd have one or two people on a bridge. But they are out there. Like, this yeah, is wintertime. Yeah, yeah. like, like, we're talking like minus 20, minus 30 days. And they'd be out there for like six, eight hours or more just standing there with the Canadian flag, like one person just like doing that. And then I remember this one older lady I looked over. She's like in a snowbank on the side of the highway, just standing there waving her little flag and just thanking people. Like just the dedication and the hope. 
that it brought to people, like, it just, um, it really it took did. Over, it took over all of us. Yeah, it really did. And watching it from, oh my God, I wanted to be part of it so <laughs> much. Like, but yeah, the, the world's eyes really were on Canada. And I don't think it was just, um, well, no, I'm, I know it wasn't just like within Canada where it did inspire people and give people hope. Like people, like people really, were really looking for that hero. And I remember doing a tweet and it was something like, you know, normally it's like tall, dark, handsome, whereas mine's now like Canadian trucker, checkered shirt. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want a fireman or a policeman. I want a trucker now. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Although I am very happily married. But if it wasn't that, I'd be looking for at that time. Um, So, yeah, didn't they make it? Like, didn't they fine people for cheering too much or being out in support or anything like that? Did... Am I making that up in my head? I might need to fact check this. Um, Were they making it difficult for people to show support to the to the truckers? I think as time went on or later, and again, see memory, um, there's so much that took place. I think people got tickets, and I don't know if it was there or after, but like for honking. Mm. <laughs> it was like the honking tickets. The noise. Yes. Um, and yeah, and trying to, yeah, um, dissuade people from... I think going out, I think they tried to make a rule about the overpasses or something. Like distractions. Um, yeah, but it was like impossible the the first while. And I was only planning on going for for the weekend. Like, I don't know, I was like, I just knew I had to be a part of it. I was like, I need to go. Um, so got to Ottawa and I remember it was like, turn right if you're staying the whole like weekend parked here because you're not going to get out. <laughs> or like, turn turn left if you're parking. It's like, okay, well, we're staying in hotels. So we'll, we'll go here and walk back. But and then just watching. So we just watched cars that whole weekend, just pull in, pull in, pull in. And you were doing, like, lives yeah. and people, like, people were coming from all sorts of places. I think there was, um, I don't know whether it was one of your videos, but there was some Polish people that had brought some, like, Polish sausages. Yes. And everyone was just coming and just giving and this real sense of community. And, like, yes. The joy and people, um, like, playing hockey um, in the streets. Yeah. And it really showed me, like, what the media can do, how they can take that very, very small part of the story. Like, I think there was litter. There there was a lot of litter. Um, But even the litter was, like, put all next to the bins and things. Like, people tried the best they could. No, they, like, did an excellent job. Even then, it was, like, um, there was people out there. They bought, like, shovels. They literally shoveled, like, all the pathways, all the snowbanks. There was garbage bags, like, every 10 feet. And then people would come with, like, wheelbarrows and dump them somewhere. Like, it was, they would say, like, it was the cleanest it has ever been. Like, people that lived in Ottawa, like, have never seen it actually so clean. Because it was just, like, the first, like, couple days until people got their Mm -hmm. bearings. Um, Things kind of piled up around the garbage bins. But then people were very quick to figure out systems. Yeah. And and work together. And it was, like, there was, the snow was always plowed. Like, always shoveled. Um, Garbage was, like, just like immaculate like you'd see a little thing on the street you'd even pick it up it was like we were leaving this incredibly like um clean um the east versus west hockey game was the best that was like <laughs> every day at noon um and it was for the the freedom cup i forgot what they were calling it oh. <laughs> and uh it was just amazing and the the food yeah like mentioned um there was one guy that came from manitoba and he was freedom bar and grill and he would set up around one or two in the afternoon and cook till 3 a.m but he cooked like gourmet like food like he was a professional chef that came and cooked every day I had to see what was on the menu it was just something extravagant and different but there was um coffee the hot chocolate cookies baked goods 
um, the, the couple of the Slovakians had a uh, pulled pull, um, pig roast yep. going. They had pig roast going, fire pits everywhere, um, and just I've never seen so much um, smiles and hugs and laughter. And then of course the infamous now bouncy castles and. <laughs> Um, it was, it was completely just family friendly dance parties. I've just, just the whole time. And you would think, you know, of course there was some like drinks or whatever in the evening. And you, and I was kind of curious. I went out some evenings. I'm like, okay, how are people going to be, you know, now that, you know, they had drinks in their system. And I can't believe that we were there for 33 plus days or whatever it was. And it just stayed incredibly peaceful, like every day at every opportunity, like those many people, that many people together every background, every culture, every difference, um, every relig- religion didn't matter. It's like, amazing when you don't watch the news. I know. And then, and that you just like, you know, <laughs> you just you're just so on. like, oh, you're a human being, you're a human being. Okay, we're here because we want like freedom of choice and to actually have differences and be respectful and we're just here for freedom yeah. and everyone uniting under under that. And, um, you know, without the, oh, you didn't do it this way or this way. It was just, nope, we're here. It was just incredible. I've never felt so much unity and community in my life. We saw the um, two things. So one, I would love to have been a fly on the wall, like at the journalist meeting, like yeah. how can we make this look bad? Because we definitely saw like, it, like you say, in the early in the early times, um, like with the rubbish um, stacking up and it was like, look, look how disgusting they yeah. were. And... I just, just like really like shaking the head, scratching the heads like, how? How can we make a spin on this? How can we like turn this into a headline? Yeah. Um, and I, honestly, they must have just tangled themselves up so much trying to work that out. Um, so yes, yeah, so that was the first thing I was going to say. And then the other thing was um, like the drone footage of like just the enormity of it. And in... Um, in London, when we had the large protests, like the drone footage and then people would put music next to it. And it's like, oh my gosh, it was just amazing. And like what you were saying, it's amazing how people can just get on mm-hmm. when they're not told who to be mad at. Mm-hmm. When they're not told this person who stereotypically looks like this is your enemy. Mm-hmm. This is the person you need to be scared of. This is the person who's insert whatever and that that's what we we had conversations as well all these different people you know different life experience different ages different religions different cultures just getting Mm -hmm. along Mm because we all shared the same values Mm -hmm. maybe not the same opinions or the same you know where we've come from or where we're going but certainly same values at that time Mm -hmm. so that was the amazing bit and I remember Rob sending me a um, I can't remember now whether it was a video or whether he sent me the picture, a screenshot, um, of you with the police officer. And I think he's put something like, she looks like hard work <laughs> or something like that. Cause, um, or I bet she's a nightmare because with what I'd done with the police and then seeing you with the police, it, it popped up on his news feed. So when did the police start to turn? Was it Was there always tension no they were really great yeah they were they were really good um always a lot um coming in from all over the the country and province um but they were you know friendly um 
I shouldn't say su- supportive. They they were there. They were they were they were kind. Maybe some of them were supportive. We don't know. They wouldn't share, but they're like you know. But they did say this is the the nicest protest we've ever been to. Um, everything's been great so far. Everything's been peaceful. So at the beginning, you know, they were able to share um, those sentiments. Um, it was kind of around the Emergencies Act um, was invoked on February fourteenth. So it was after that that things kind of shifted. And there was like starting to be a little bit of tension and things um, were kind of off. Yeah. And I was still a little bit in my naive phase or state um, of thinking, you know, Canada and peaceful. And I was like, there's just too many people. Like Mm. there's too many people. This is too peaceful. Like kids are coming out to this. Like they can't do anything. Like they're not going to. And yeah, I I will admit my my naiveness um, to that. Um, so when the police finally did come out on the, the 18th, I do think though that picture that Rob was talking about though, there was, I should go back to the, the jerry cans. Cause that was like an infamous thing <laughs> oh, of gosh, what, yes, what, yes. what was happening because they were, they were trying to come up with all these obstacles of like, okay, you can't yes. honk your horns. And then they found out, okay, that injunction or whatever it was, wasn't put in properly. So they started honking the horns again. And it was amazing because it's like, oh, who knew like, like truck horns like sounded so good, right? Like I think when knowing the, knowing the context, it was like, you know, the horns of freedom, um, you know, and somehow they made tunes, like like five trucks, like made like a song and people dancing to like, like truck horns. Um, but so they tried to kind of keep thinking of ways to make it more difficult for, for people. And one of them was you cannot um, supply the trucks with uh, diesel. Uh, yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, with fuel. And so it's like, okay, if you're like caught carrying like a jerry can around, like you're going to get fined, it's going to get confiscated and And, and all this people stuff. Yeah. need that to keep their cabs warm. Yes. Yeah, to keep the cabs warm, um, to sleep in and, and yeah. Um, so what happened was there was a, a gentleman trying to bring in some, some fuel and he kind of got caught and surrounded by the police and we all showed up and... Um, the police and ended up confiscating the the jerry cans he had. But I remember standing there and like filming it all. And this officer just came like right in my face, asking me to move. And it's like I'm I'm not moving. And we had this little like confrontation, like just face to face. And um, that ended up being like a clip. And I think that was the shot yeah. that that Rob got because I'm like I'm not moving. Like I'm not doing anything wrong. And he ended up getting pulled off by his colleagues. But with the jerry cans, everyone was told they're like okay everyone walk around yes. with with one yes. and I remember doing one of my lives and I was like something's happening over here turned down this street and it was like hundreds of people assembling and they're just handing out like jerry cans to like hundreds of people and they're like okay walk down here and then go down to like Wellington was the street and, and turn and so we had this like jerry can parade it was like hundreds of people all jerry cans walking around so it was like became this like mockery and it was just hilarious that we kept finding solutions by adding I guess like humor to it and <laughs> yeah and I think so what you said about um like how tidy you were and like tidying everything up and the, and the snow and all that mm-hmm. it's almost like we have to be I say, I say our side for want of a better word but it's almost like we have to be watertight mm-hmm. if we put like a toe not even like a foot like just a little toe out of line that's it yeah yeah whereas you know, we, we had the police that were 
our police, which were um, attacking peaceful protesters. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's okay, because mm-hmm. that's not caught on the media or it's justified somehow that in order their violence reduced other potential violence. Mm-hmm. And that really frustrates me. Mm-hmm. It really angers me. Because you do, you have to be absolutely watertight. You can't show an ounce of um, frustration, like with a raised voice, because then you're aggressive. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether they've got batons, you know, or police horses. Mm-hmm. It's just that you're aggressive. You're mm-hmm. being aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I yeah I forgot about the cans, um, <laughs> but yeah, I love that being able to adapt. And mentioning the horses, so there was two things um, that sprung to mind. I don't know whether they were around the same time. The lady in the mobility scooter mm-hmm. um, who got walked over by the horse, trampled on, and the police removing their IDs, um, mm-hmm. like their numbers, mm-hmm. um, so that they couldn't be identified as individuals. Because your police officers had like the the masks and um, the goggles and things, didn't they? So they were quite difficult to see their mm-hmm. facial features. Did that was that just one episode where it happened where they removed their badges, or was that commonplace? No, I think um. So yeah, the the officers, the police came in Friday morning about ten a.m. and I remember everyone being like, "Have to get out to this place, get out to this place," and. Um, so we like, you know, formed a line and then we see like, you know, the almost look like mili- military, mm-hmm. like militant, like the rifles and, um, the, I don't know, what is it? The LARD, like the big sound machines okay. almost look like tanks or something. Um, and then they have like a big speaker, like prepare to move, you must move and, and just all the equipment. And, um, I have never experienced this or seen this before. So we are just thinking, you know, we're going to form a line mm-hmm. or we're going to sit down and you're not budging us. And then, um, there wasn't enough of us. Um, and I just remember this one moment, this is like kind of the beginning when we're all like confused what's going on. We kind of like stepped back because this guy was trying to talk to us, this officer, and he's saying, um, you know, I, I picked this shift to be here to make sure nothing happened. Nobody wants to arrest anybody. And he's trying to kind of manipulate us, um, especially now looking back. And he's like, you know, this is just about trucks. We just have to um, move the trucks to, you know, open up the city again. You guys can just get right back into protesting and um, and do what you're here for. And um, kind of knowing that was not true, but not real, realizing we're a bit outnumbered. Mm-hmm. And I remember just kind of starting to step back and there was a man in his truck and he said, don't leave me. And I remember seeing him yelling at us, like, don't leave me, like, um, begging for, you know, support and help and thinking, you know, these truckers just sacrifice, like, so much for us. And then the next thing you know, we moved back just a little bit enough that the police kept advancing Mm -hmm. and broke his window and and pulled him out. And I will never forget that image because he's looking at us like, don't leave me. And we just backed up enough to almost allow that to happen and and thinking of the like the complete sacrifice that he had just made of being there and not moving and then just feeling that complete um, letdown. But then when we moved back a little bit more, we realized we were completely surrounded. Mm-hmm. We just thought it was like this line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was like this one, this one behind us, like everywhere, just completely, utterly um, surrounded. Um, there was there was no way of of getting getting out of that. Um, so yeah, there was the, so there was different police officers that came in from across the country. Literally, they brought in everyone from every main city, 
um, across Canada. Um, so the the green suits, what people remember, because it just they looked very abnormal compared to everyone else. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that apparently they're riot police from Quebec, and they're the ones that didn't have um, the badges on. But all the other officers from other countries, uh, th- they did. So, but the Quebec ones, yeah, they they were the ones that looked the scariest by far. Like, and that's what a lot of people remember: the green suits, the yeah. masks, and just yeah, the batons and. And, and I'd all forgot that. about the um, the windows being smashed as well because yeah. weren't um, I don't know if it was trucks, but cars were seized yeah. and they were returned with the windscreen smashed, the windows smashed, mm-hmm. um, and quite a lot of damage. And then yeah. it was suggested that that's how they arrived, or that yeah. it was nothing to do with them. Yeah. Or was police confiscation or something, so it was allowed or something ridiculous. But yeah, a lot of damage was caused to um, personal vehicles. There, there was one they had like it was a family car. They had like you know their kids' car seats in the back and completely just um, destroyed for being parked in in the wrong spot, I guess. And it it makes me think about how people people didn't like when someone would say, oh, well, if this was 1930s Germany, you know how you'd act. Mm-hmm. I know how I'd act. I know how I'd act. I've seen it. I've I've lived it. And did we have the end result? No, we didn't. But was it just another um, brick in the path along the way if we, if enough people hadn't spoken and hadn't done anything? Like, would it have just been total control and, and the passports and, and all of that stuff? Yes, I, I genuinely believe that's what would have happened. And and people don't like that because, and I understand um, that us not going to a restaurant, you can't compare to the Holocaust. But certainly the tactics that we used with the propaganda and the fear and the aggression, you can compare and the behaviours. And when you, when we think about our journey and how, I remember doing a video and I was saying like, you know, people are telling me that I don't care and that I'm selfish and I care so much it hurts. It hurts so bad to see all of these things happening, knowing that I am one person with one voice, with limited resources and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I was totally winging this. Yeah. But I'm really trying because I care. And then you have just... I don't know, even know what to say, but like, for want of a better word, I'll use idiots, we'll just go with idiots. Like, just smashing and causing this damage. And especially, like, they've got friends, they've got families who have got kids, they know, like, how much parents, you know, might be struggling or might be under pressure because they've got to get the kids to nursery, the kids to school, feed the kids, wash the kids. Like, it's stressful. And they're there, just smashing just acting like absolute hooligans and mm. i don't know who they were i don't know whether it was the police or whether they just allowed it to happen but these are the people who are telling us they care they're telling you they care i know and they're allowed to get away with all these things and then somehow we're the bad guys yes i know i, I that that has bothered me since day one of all this like I don't understand. It's because, yeah, like, I care that I'm trying to um, tell you, like, the truth. I'm trying to explain this to you. I'm trying to help you. I want you to have, like, you know, a healthy life. That's why, you know, giving you actual things you can do to prevent or be healthy versus, you know, and 
and seeing that. And, and that was when, you know, the, the innocence was kind of gone for me of, you know, what I thought could happen in the world in Canada because it was that attack. And I remember even, like, and I was on the front lines for the two days just face-to-face -face with these um, officers. And, and yeah, they, like, were just brutally attacking people. I remember them trying to – there was um, – we're on this pathway. So there was like concrete wall with a drop and then a fence. And we're lined up on this one pathway. Other people were here. And these three veterans were standing, you know, with their backs to the police trying to like protect us. And these older veterans, one was from France, I remember. And I don't remember where the other two were from. One had a cane. And um, then the officers just started pushing them, like pushing them. They're like pushing like the, the vets. And there was a whole other line um, of a whole line of, uh, veterans prior to this that the police just um, advanced on but I remember because I was right in front of them these officers pushing and they just were there was a concrete wall behind me and a couple of others like one of those electrical boxes whatever it was and they're like move move and it's like like we physically can't and this one guy just just, just so angry and violent just mm -hmm. got in my face grabbed me had his forearm up against my neck and just pushed pushed me against this concrete wall and a couple of others to the point like I ended up falling on the ice and and then I was like that was the only time I really panicked because I was just like they're pushing like they're you know the trampling um, but luckily everyone was so aware and helpful and keeping everyone safe so I pulled me over the the railings really quickly to get me back to my feet but um, it was just yeah they took people um, just um, beating them with the end of of the guns, um, the tear gas, the pepper spray, um, the, the rubber bullets, um, you know, hit people in the face, um, took out their live stream phones. That's what they're aiming for. And then um, there was a, a reporter from Rebel News beside me. And so somehow, I don't know if it was like a canister, like a tear gun canister or whatever it was, just hit her in the leg and she was screaming beside me and trying to help her and just like this kind of like burn bruise mark that was burning because it was the canister from the the tear gas and she was just in so much pain and watching people get directly sprayed that were just just horrifically like in pain and it just um it was a lot to witness and and be there and then they brought out the horses two or three times and just to break up and run through the mm. crowd and trample people and yeah those two people that did get um, trampled and, and they they were okay there was a lot of miss leading information in in the news about that but they they both ended up um okay um but yeah it was just horrific I didn't realize um not that I, at the time they knew they were going to be okay no um, no did you know, not you know. Don't know what's going to happen no. to these people so there wasn't that kind of concern um yeah it was just it was super traumatic um to witness Especially like never seeing anything like that before and, and thinking, you know, this is this is Canada. <laughs> and like what we were saying before about people who are almost like head in sand, I don't wanna think about all of this because my life isn't what I thought it was. I struggled with the police yeah. because as far as I was concerned, the police were part of the services and we all help our community in different ways. And then what I saw during the protest, that wasn't the case at all. Yeah. Like the, the police are political pawns and they're just there for whatever the political agenda is. It doesn't matter whether it's morally and ethically the right thing to do. They're the orders that they've been given and that's what they're going to do. And if you try and question that, they will just simply laugh at you. 
And um, yeah, the amount of officers that like would laugh at me, um, madness. And I wonder if what you're describing there and how traumatic that was, that realisation, that wake-up call, is almost what the the people that we've fallen out with are trying to avoid. Uh, probably. But Th- those I, feelings and emotions, not the same situation. No, 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 no but the, the feelings of, you know, being naive and just um, having that kind of innocence broken down. And I would say, yes, they're trying to avoid that, but I think even to a greater extent. Because as much as I was naive, um, I had seen the images mm-hmm. that you posted. I remember the peaceful protest that you're talking about. I had watched that. I've seen what was happening in Australia. I've seen, you know, um, Germany with, like, the the ho- like the water hose, like, spraying everyone. Um, um, like, I, I've seen the images, so I, I knew it was possible, but I guess there was that denial that, like, but, not in, it is but not in Canada. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it won't, won't happen here. So they, So I think... Other side is even um, um, more so protecting because it, they don't even. I don't even know if they have the awareness, yeah. right? I don't even think it's like th- there's not even a denial. I don't even know if there's that awareness that they're avoiding. Mm-hmm. So the rebel news lady was that the one who was with Trudeau and oh, I, I'm trying to think. She got like mousy brown hair and she was it. trying oh. to ask questions and he was just totally twisting. What she was said. I might have to put the. Uh, put the video her name's up. Alexa, and she, um, French accent. Yes, I think um, it is the okay. one. I'll put yeah. the link to the yeah. video um, that I'm talking about. Yeah. So I'm gonna just have a quick yeah. look, quick <laughs> look, making sure that I just get everything. Um, oh yeah, about people targeted for supporting the truckers as well. Oh yeah. So with the um, the donations, with the donations, and the the addresses got leaked. Yes. So uh, and banks got frozen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I had a, a couple friends; their bank accounts got frozen because um, they had um, fundraised a, a bunch of a bunch of money. Um, and and yeah, the people who had donated to, I I think it was the Give Send Go. I, I don't know because it went GoFundMe. Um, actually said nope. This is like a corrupt. Um, whatever was not event but whatever funding source whatever the word they gave it they said we cannot support this and ended up uh returning all all the money i don't think they were going to at first but i think there was so much like pressure that they ended up returning all all the oh, money because they were going to donate it to other charities yes yes, yes. Yeah. and it had been up to like 10 million dollars yeah, yeah, yeah. um so all that was donated and then they started up the give send go and same thing like eight eight million dollars um, ended up in this um, with the Give Send Go. It was in an American bank, and to with Give Send Go had no control over the money. They were not going to make anything political. They were, you know, um, allowing uh-huh. it to take place. But there was this loophole that I think it was the Ontario government or whatever made it illegal to withdraw the money. So they couldn't even take the money out. So again, there was like this eight million dollars there um, stuck in it, and I can't remember what's happened to it since. Um, I don't know if Give Send Go eventually just said, okay, since um, the government's not going to allow mm-hmm. um, this to be withdrawn, we're just going to give it back, I believe is what happened. But yes, then um, when the Emergency Act was invoked on the 14th, it gave, um, I don't know, somehow opportunity or permission, whatever the right word is, um, to seize bank accounts. And then so they started seizing people's bank accounts that um, had donated to the, the Give Send Go and or people who knew that had fundraised a lot that were going to hand out money to the truckers. So just, again, that's an, 
you kind of like are aware of these things, especially when you dig down and you know it can happen. And it's like, okay, but we're at this point like yeah. now where it actually is happening. Mm-hmm. And I think when people support that idea, I think it is fair to say, have a think about what you feel really passionately about. And what if your bank account was frozen mm-hmm. for supporting that? Mm-hmm. You know, football teams. What about, you know, you're there supporting Leeds United. Mm-hmm. But Manchester don't like that, so mm-hmm. they freeze your bank account. And I know that's a very um, silly example, and it's not, um, you know, it's not political. But who's to say that we don't go down there if, if we don't stop it now? You know, they they could make any decisions, any choices. You all have to wear the same clothes. You all have to have the same haircut. You all mm-hmm. have to do this. And if you deviate from that, then you know, tough luck. You can't feed yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, anyone that kind of supports that needs to question, like, what what could that mean to me? If I support this to go through, what might it mean mm-hmm. for me? What might it mean for my children? Um, and do I think there needs to be laws in place and things? In time? Yes, I do. But what harm is it? What harm is it causing to have those beliefs of freedom of choice, choice of what we do to our body? Mm-hmm. Um so the addresses as well. Did they release the addresses? Oh, and they did. They did release all the names and um, addresses. So they leaked all that, and it was putting people at de- considering this is about keeping people safe. Yeah, that. Put well, people- and it did put people at harm um, because all of a sudden, people, um, colleagues that people like you know, just even at cafes. Um, found out, oh, you were a donor? Like, you donated to the truckers? Like, um, and then I, I've heard stories of people having to quit because they just got, you know, ridicul- ridiculed so much that they had to quit their job. One um, man I know is a, a nurse director, donated like $100, got terminated from his position as a, a director at a nursing home um, for, for donating. Like, just crazy. And I believe there is an Ottawa police officer, I just saw the the news, I think I saw the story before too, that donated. So here's an Ottawa police officer donating to the truckers that they, you know, violently kicked out. So she's under um, investigation right now, might lose her job as well for just donating to a cause. So you're not even allowed to have differing political views anymore. Mm-hmm. And I first experienced that myself with um, J- January 6th. It's like, I'm, you know... I'm kind of indifferent. Like, Trump, I wasn't whatever. But if I was a big, you know, Trump supporter, what does that matter? Okay. Like, don't add that to your list. I know. <laughs> you'll be, you'll I be know. getting stopped at the I know. That'll again. just be like a little soundbite. <laughs> so I'll just take that soundbite and then psh, there you go, back to <laughs> domestic terrorists. But I just mean, I just found it, like, so crazy that we're just, you're just not allowed to have differing political views. And I don't think people kind of realize that because they're so entranced in like, but this is the right way. And that is dangerous. So no, you're not allowed to think that because that is dangerous think. Um, That's, you know, terrorist or anti or whatever label they've given it, that they're not even recognizing that we're not allowed to have Mm -hmm. even differing opinions or choice in um, democracy. So they're not even realizing we keep using this word democracy, democracy in our countries, and they're not even realizing that that has yeah. been removed. And that's the part I find fascinating is like, is yeah, they're not not seeing that, that it's seen as like, yeah, well, that's acceptable because that's wrong. 
Mm-hmm. But it's like when people are in um, relationships and they say that they're happy and they're not. Mm-hmm. Like, the more you say you're happy, it doesn't make you happy in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely noticed that where people will just kid themselves on quite a lot, just, like, tell themselves lies um, to save themselves from any discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, what has been your biggest learning out of doing this? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I think it's a, a big question. What about yourself? Because not everyone has gone to um, the lengths that you have. So mm-hmm. what what have you learned about yourself? So it's very fascinating. Years ago, I had this business called um, Sweaty Successful Moms with two other moms. And the idea was we created this program called The Meaningful More. And it was to reconnect um, mothers specifically who have lost themselves in, in, in parenting. And it was to reconnect to, like, who you actually are. And it's been fascinating because a lot of the lessons that we teach in the program as 12-week program were things that we had to constantly teach ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to, we went to this Wellness Leadership Academy to help us, you know, um, learn how to build this business and and grow. And we had to find um, our guru words, you know. And it was, like, this word that you have to kind of, like, live by and it can make you super excited but also makes you want to vomit at the same time because it's so scary like that's what it's supposed to invoke in you and I remember like they took us through this process to figure out what the word was and um, at that time and this is going back probably five years ago now um, leader came up and I don't think I really knew what that meant at that time Um, but it was the word that came and I kept it. And so I guess this journey has shown me that I can be a leader, but what it means to be a leader, um, and leading by example and not just, you know, telling Mm -hmm. (laughs) what to do and it's supporting and, um, helping people like come along, you know, with the journey. It's, um, yeah, helping your community. So it's taught me, I guess, a lot about leadership and growing into that role and being okay with making mistakes and learning from that humbly and admitting wrong and and continuing to learn. Um, So that's been kind of the biggest takeaway is trying to be more um, confident in myself and remembering to remain in that um, humility phase. Because it can kind of get get lost. Um, I think a lot so of people yeah. <laughs> want the leadership role. A lot of people have this idea of mm-hmm. what it is to be a leader. And I, I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate the responsibilities. I remember reading a book um, called Leaders Eat Last. Mm-hmm. And I think that is my leadership style. Where... So Rob will disagree with me, but I will say I can lead or be led. But I won't be led by someone who you can't challenge. I won't be led by someone who just gives me stupid rules. I won't be led by someone who won't... Um... When I was, in, when I was like, practicing, I would always say, I'll never ask you to do a job that I'm not prepared to do myself. I might not have the, the ability to do it because I'm here for a different role, but I'll never ask you... Like, I'd never just give you all the crappy jobs. Mm-hmm. It's only because I need to do this role, which you can't do. And that's why I'm asking you to do this. So, yeah, Rob will disagree with me, but I can be led. 
but it absolutely has to be by someone who is willing to do that work as well. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a different podcast and we won't go into that conversation <laughs> now, but, you know, like when you see all the climate change stuff, when you've got people that are flying on private jets. No, I don't want that in a leader. Yeah, I want someone who's going to, like be true to what they're saying and show me. Don't just tell me what I need to do. Show me. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of people want leadership roles, but they don't actually know what is involved. They don't see the tears and the heartache and the early mornings and the late nights and all that stuff. They think it's just bossing people around. Yeah. So, yeah, I like yeah. that. I like that. <laughs> um, I think that's a really good learning to have. And one way you be a leader and also be compassionate with what you do and probably don't even want to do it. Yeah, yeah that's exactly it. <laughs> I, think, I think that's why, like, that that word, like they said, you know, it can either excite you or, you know, make, make you sick because sometimes it's, I don't know if it's calling or just something. Like, everything that has happened, it, it's not something I, I led to do. It just kind of, um, I keep just day by day and doing what I think is is the right thing and it keeps taking me in this path and just continuing to like learn from it so it's been it's been in a crazy crazy journey um I think it's also just taught me you know that um resiliency however you want to take that word but that you can keep uh, I was gonna use the word pivot but I don't know people's kind of sick of that word but that's what it is it's just kind of keep like pivoting um, and finding solutions. And I'm hoping moving forward that's, you know, what we'll continue to do with who knows what's coming next. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question is actually, what does the future look like? Yes. What's next for you? Um, I can tell you what's next for Canadian Frontline Nurses. So we've launched a new website um, last kind of, um, I guess, winter ish, um, it was completed. So our idea is these nurses that are terminated or nurses that are kind of fed up with conventional medicine and the traditional nursing system, um, we're hoping to kind of create a new framework. And we're starting off by doing this with creating a national directory database of nurses. So the nurses join our, our membership. Um, it's $100 a year. It's That's commitments to help with like, you know, the cost behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And with that, we um, promote them, help advertise, and we're building up um, in our kind of like paid page, um, like the membership page programs and different learning opportunities and um, different speakers so we can start kind of challenging what we've been taught and kind of start moving forward. Um, And then the public join at $50 uh, for the year, and they get access to these teachings and learning and can then connect with the nurse in their, their province. What we're hoping to happen is we can start getting care back in the homes. Mm -hmm. So from birth to palliative and everything in between, we can start taking back our responsibility of of care, that we are nurturers, that we are capable of doing this, um, and putting that responsibility back on the people as well. So no longer are they patients, which are victims. Mm -hmm. Um, They are active participants in their health journey, and the nurse is there to help guide them along their way. So it is kind of... I think we have 70 nurses now that are on board for doing this, and it continues to grow. So that's that's what we're hoping to do with uh, Canadian Frontline Nurses is kind of keep growing and shifting into a new framework um, while we still advocate on the side. But we know the importance of creating and moving forward as well. 
And where can people get more information from for that? Because we'll, we'll put the link. Yeah, uh, just just all right on our website, um, CanadianFrontlineNurses.ca. Fantastic. Yeah. And the last thing that I'd like to end on is a story that you were telling me before we came here. And I think, it to me, it really demonstrates the... So I do a lot about transactional analysis, so the adult parent-child, and how we are spoken to and treated like children. <laughs> um, so me and my husband, we went to Spain and the rules were we had to wear a mask. Um, but I just can't play along. Yeah. I can't pretend. I can't join in the theatre. Um, it makes me feel very uncomfortable. And so I took a big bottle of water and I've got the weakest bladder ever. Um, I can't believe I've sat down this long, actually. <laughs> um, but I was going to sip this water all the way. So I was. And it felt like the air hostess kept on pressing the, please wear your mask. Please wear yeah. your mask. It just felt like they were pressing it more. Um, and then, of course, when it comes to spending money, when it comes to like the coffee coming around and the food coming around, all of a sudden it's fine. Yes. And then on the way back, um, I had a big bag of M&M's. So I would be eating these M&M's. Um, again, I didn't want to cause conflict. Like, like just leave me alone. And um, gosh, I felt so sick. Because I actually <laughs> ate them. I actually ate them. I wasn't even pretending. Um, so yeah, so it just made me think about that. So can you tell your story about how you were treated quite childlike um, <laughs> and the consequences that happened yeah. for your actions? It's, it is, I agree. I can, like, I can follow rules if they make sense and I understand them, but don't give me BS. And I can't do the theater. I don't do games. It's been such a joke growing up that, like, this face, like, I've never been able to tell a lie. Like, my mom instantly. So it just became, like, there's no point in even trying. <laughs> so um, Sarah and I were flying out to to um, speak in uh, Vancouver. We flew out Air Canada and they've been really, really bad. And so on the way there, I was just trying to like pull the mask down in my window and, um, you know, just try to uh, be subtle and not cause anything. And just kept coming around and was like, pull up your mask, pull up your mask. Oh, the funniest thing is when I came on the plane, um, had the mask on. And she's like, ma'am, can you can you tighten the seal around, around your mask? And I was like, oh, you mean like yours? And she's like, yeah, like mine. I was like, your mask is cloth. <laughs> it doesn't tighten. Like, just like, just please think about these things. Anyway, so um, we pull the mask down, um, get in trouble, so pull it up. And then the same. I tried to do the same thing that you did, like snack. But I almost like they had like a timeline, like a timer <laughs> of like, you've been snacking too long. Like, pull the mask up. And, uh, but the next thing you know, it was like full service. It was like, here's your snack. Here's some coffee. Here's some drinks. Okay. So that's allowed. And then, you know, you try to just eat it as slow as possible. Then again, it was almost like, okay, timer's up. Picked up. <laughs> yeah. Time, time to put it back up. So same thing. I just kind of kept trying to pull it down and be discreet and whatever. And, um, but I guess they flagged me or whatever they did. So on my way home, um, I went to go give them my boarding pass and whatever, check in. And they're like, oh, there's something wrong with this. And they didn't seem to know or they weren't telling me. I'm not sure. They passed on to someone else. Like, oh, we have to take it to this person. Oh, we have to take it to this person. It was just this whole thing of no one telling me what's going on, but them seeming confused, <laughs> um, ended up missing my flight. And then somehow they sorted it all out. So, oh, that's what happened. Someone came and talked to me, the in charge um, before getting on the flight, and I had to have a lecture 
about wearing masks properly. I remember that part when we were talking about it. I was like, that's what happened. They had to be disciplined. <laughs> and I had to have a lecture about... educated <laughs> Yes, about how to wear the mask properly. And then I was allowed um, back on back on the flight. Yeah. <laughs> it is madness. And I wish that we had... We didn't have time. So much was going on. I was doing so much. Rob was trying to, like, juggle house and work and dogs and stuff. And we moved house and... it. I wish we had done a timeline, a, a journal, just every day, like just all these stories yes. and just how ridiculous it all is. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Are there any questions you thought I was going to ask that I didn't? No, I don't think so. No. I'm just thinking we're going to have to do this reverse somehow next time. Because <laughs> there's a lot of things. Where I'm else should we go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Where else can we meet to do this? Yeah. <laughs> should we go and get some masaka? I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. <laughs>